You have not chosen me, but I chose you. Um, this is part four in this, uh, the fourth installment in this series. But just think for a moment, <clears throat> if you can remember the things we've shared in the past weeks. What an awesome, powerful, transforming thought when it really digs into your heart and you realize that it's not my choosing God or choosing to follow Jesus. It's the fact that he chose me. That I know him because he chose me to know him. That, that the Lord wants me. When I'm in my, my darkest moment, when I'm in my weak, at my weakest, and I feel like, you know, why did I? I bit off too, more, too much to chew, you know. <laughs> Following Jesus, I can't do this. But then I realize he chose me. There is the power of a greater decision holding me up. And the Lord is there. And he said, I will never leave or forsake you. And it's just a revolutionizing thought. Uh, and it is just essential to the gospel to realize that he chose us. Well, this morning, um, I want to share one aspect of, and one I think is probably one of the most important features of realizing that when Jesus, and you realize that Jesus chose you and you're born again, it's probably the most outstanding feature of him introducing himself or, or um, uh, introducing, when we're first introduced to him, the greatest feature of that is that Jesus turns around and introduces us to ourselves. He introduces you to you. So he basically says, meet the you that I have ordained. You know, meeting Jesus, when the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, met Jesus, boy, there was a man that needed a new identity. Jesus immediately introduced Paul to who Paul really was. You know, the first half of Paul's life, he was a Christian killer. But the rest of his life and throughout eternity, he was a, he was a soul saver. Hallelujah. That was the real Paul. And each and every one of us, though we begin this life in sin, being lost, there is a true destiny, a true you that God formed with the purpose with which he formed you. And so when you're introduced to Jesus, he introduces you to yourself. The Apostle Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10. One of my favorite statements in the New Testament, see if it doesn't grab you the way it grabs me. Paul writes about himself, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Let me put that in more modern vernacular for you. Paul says, by the grace of God, I am the person grace is making. I choose to believe that I am the man that grace is making. I am what I am by the grace of God. I'm not the what I was that my mother and father made. I am the man that grace is making. That's what Paul says. So by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of the other apostles, though it was not me, 
but the grace of God that is with me. So um, I want to share with you um, this morning about your new name. Praise God. You've got a new name, Genesis chapter 17, verses 4 through 6. Um, we're going to take a look at Abraham, the life of Abraham. We're going to look at Peter for a few minutes also. So, <clears throat> God has no relationship at this point in history. 4,000 years, uh, 3,000 years back before Christ comes into the world. Uh, mankind is on the face of the earth without a Savior, without the guiding light of, of God in the world. And God begins his covenant of faith with mankind by singling out a man named Abram. Everyone say Abram. Abram. We know him as Abraham, but he was born Abram. And so God meets this man Abram, and he has a destiny for him. He's, Abram was born to fulfill a particular destiny. God needs to begin a covenant of faith with mankind. He starts by finding this man, Abram, out of which he is going to build a multitude of nations. And from the seed of Abram will come the Messiah. And of course, he did come from Abraham. So this is the little brief account of God meeting Abram and revealing to him that he, is going, he has chosen him to make the covenant of faith with him. Listen to what God says. He says to Abram, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I'm changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be Abraham. For you will be the father of many nations, and I will make you extremely fruitful. At this point, Abraham is 75 years old. His wife is 66. She's barren. They have no children. Hello, I'm God, and I am going to make you the father of a multitude of nations. And by the way, I'm changing your name. Oh, what's my name going to be? Well, it's not going to be Abram anymore. It's going to be Abraham. Abram was bad enough because the man's 75 years old, his wife's 66, they have no children, and Abram means exalted father. So he's gone through life, 65, 75 years, being called exalted father, no children. God, God says, I need to introduce you to who you really are because exalted father's not enough for what I've got in mind. So I'm going to call you Abraham, which means father of a multitude or father of a multitude of nations. So as I said, the greatest feature of being introduced to Jesus is that he turns around and introduces you to you. He introduced Abram to who he really was. You are Abraham and from you will come a multitude of nations. So your new name is your new identity. That's why God gives people a new name. Did you ever notice how Jesus changed some of the disciples' names? Sure. God changes names. And we'll talk about whether the Lord has changed your name in a few minutes as we get into this. But um, the Apostle Paul, 
the Apostle Paul changed his own name from, from Paul to the, from Saul, which was the Jewish version, to the Roman version, Paul, because he was preaching among the Gentiles. But Paul underwent a name change. You've undergone a name change. If Jesus is Lord of your night, life, you have a new name because your name represents your identity. And not only that, your name represents your assignment. Have you ever noticed that every time God names somebody, their name spoke about what their assignment was? Abraham, father of a multitude of nations, well, you're going to get busy, and you're going to raise a great family that are, that's going to multiply throughout the world. So his name reflected his work. You remember Peter. What was his name? Simon. But the Lord changed his name to Peter, which means a rock, because that would be the work of Peter's life, to be a rock to his fellow believers. Hallelujah. And we'll talk about him in a few minutes. But the Lord has given you a name change, an identity change, and an assignment change. So, essentially transformative, so essentially transformative is being born again that the scripture refers to it as a new being. A Christian's not somebody who's decided to believe the Bible. A Christian's not somebody who's decided to go to church or believe in Jesus. What makes you a Christian is that you were dead and now you're alive. You were one thing, now you are another thing. The Bible refers to that transformative act, being born again, as being a new creation, a new species, a new being. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Jesus Christ, he is a new creation. In the original Greek language in which this uh, um, phrase was written out, and, and uh, defined, that word new creation means original formation. So when Terry was born and his mom and dad gave him the name Terry, he shall be called Terry Birchard. Whatever they had in mind, they had in mind. But God knew all along who Terry really was. And at some point in Terry's life, he would meet Jesus and Jesus would transform him. The Terry that was born will be no more. The same body will be there. Even the soul, however, will be changed. Something supernatural is going to happen. God's going to change him, and he's going to have what the Bible refers to by the phrase a new creation. He's going to have an original formation. So God doesn't just paste us up. He doesn't wash us and repaint us. He changes us from the inside out. We become a new creation. Our spirit which was the spirit of a sinner, fallen, rebel against God, is replaced and the Holy Spirit, rebirths our spirit, and the love of God is in us. The Bible says, God has sent forth the spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Hallelujah. So your new name reveals your new identity and your new assignment from God. And when God renames somebody, it always reflects their reassignment. As I said, Abraham, father of many nations. Um, Peter, the rock. The kingdom of God 
isn't expanded through slaves. God, Jesus doesn't have slaves. He has children. Slaves are people that are taken out of their habitat, out of their home, and pressed into the service of a kingdom that was not their kingdom. Jesus does not have slaves. Jesus did not leave you in your sinner state and say, I'm going to use you like, like you might use a vacuum cleaner. He remade you into a heavenly being. He made you his children. So the kingdom of God's expanded through children, transformed former slaves, not slaves. Glory to God. God gave Abraham and Peter new names as a shoehorn to help fit them into their new identities. How many of you know what a shoehorn is? I know it's the 21st century, but some of you are old enough to remember a shoehorn. Sure, you, you use a shoehorn to help fit your foot into that shoe. And the Lord changed Abram's name, changed Simon's name, and he changed your name and my name in order to fit us in to the new creation, which has a new assignment assigned to it. So, though he may not have actually changed your birth name, God has most definitely given you a new name. Guess what that name is? Wow, I figured you guys were sharper than that. Guess what that name is? Well, it begins with a J, ends with an S. Your new name. You know, it's amazing to me how slow we are, and I don't say this to, to make it, how slow we are to grasp the very essential of the gospel. Jesus gave us his name. He said, go to the Father in my name. I've saved you in my name. I give you all authority in my name. Is there any aspect of being given a new name that Jesus did not give to you and I? We don't go around calling ourselves Jesus, but does Jesus live in us? Is the new creation in us recreated in Christ Jesus? Does the Bible say that you are in Jesus Christ? When Jesus, before he left the world, was in the garden praying before his arrest, what did he say? Father, that they may be one as you and I are one. Jesus did not wither or shrink back from being identified as one with the Father. And then he passed that oneness, that identity, onto you and I, saying, Father, make them one as we are one. Now, we know that Jesus is the unique, eternal I am, the God, the Word made flesh. We know that we are not the Word made flesh. But what are we? We are something. We are something in Him. The Bible doesn't say we're with Him. The Bible says we're in Him. There is going to be a startling revelation when you and I appear with the Lord in glory and we sit down together and He reveals to us who we really are. In fact, in the book of Revelation chapter 3 and verse 12, Jesus is speaking to the seven churches. By extension, He's speaking through them to you and I. And He says this in 3.12. The one who overcomes, or the one who conquers, 
I will make to be a pillar in the temple of my God. And he, now, he's talking about you and I. We are overcomers, right? So is he talking about us? He says, I will make you to be a pillar in the temple of my God, and you will never depart from it. I will write upon you the name of my God. I will write upon you the name of my God. Now, <clears throat> I've got an like Terry over here, I've got a garage and a shed filled with all these tools. God only knows how much money I've spent on tools. I write my name on them. Because when you're out working, people can sometimes get confused. So I want everyone to know that shovel is Nick Champlin. <laughs> and my name's written on them. I sign my stuff. God signs his stuff. You just missed a great hallelujah moment. I said, God signs his stuff. I will write upon you the name of my God. So God gave Abram a name that changed him into Abraham. God gave Simon a name that changed him into Peter. Both men went on to fulfill the life that their names were created around the assignment that they represented. The Lord has given each and all of us the name of Jesus. He has signed you. We have the signature of God. If you're born again, God has signed you. Hallelujah. God signs his possessions. He wants the devil to know, don't touch that tool. He wants the devil to know that vessel is mine. That man is mine. That woman is mine. He has given you a, a new name. Have you embraced it? Real authority that breaks the weapons of Satan, crushes the enemy, causes us to overcome, happens not just when God assigns you his new name, but when you receive that name. When you conscientiously embrace the revelation, I'm not the old Saul. I'm not the old Abram. I am Peter. I am, uh, I'm not the old Simon. I'm Peter. I'm not Abram. I'm Abraham. When you embrace that, <coughs> who you are in Jesus Christ, you're embracing that new name. You're embracing that identity. That's where the power comes from to fulfill the assignment God has given you. Look again at what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 10 that I read to you a few minutes ago. By the grace of God, I am what I am. So he's laying claim to his new name. I am the man that grace is creating. And God's grace towards me is not in vain. On the contrary, here's the phrase I want you to catch. I worked harder. Everyone say, I worked harder. Now, don't let that throw you. He said, I worked harder than any of the other apostles, though it was not me, but the grace of God that is in me. So when you receive the new name of Jesus, when you receive the new nature, the transformation, and the assignment that goes with it, God parks his grace inside your life. And as Paul said, and as he found out, with that grace, I can work harder than all y'all. With that grace, I can do things that old Nicky couldn't do. 
There were limits, terrible limits upon my life. But that new name, that new nature, and that new assignment is all possible because God has installed His grace. And what is grace? Grace is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. Grace is not permission to stay the same. Grace is not permission to, well, I know I'm all messed up, but God's cool with that. He's, I'm under grace. No, grace is the power to transform. It is not permission to stay the same. It is the power to rise up and be more. That's what grace is. Anybody who receives the grace of God and allows grace to work in their life and embraces the grace of God is going to rise up, is going to overcome, is going to leave Abram behind and become Abraham. Your new name is the name of God's grace working in you. Jesus is the name of God's grace working in you. And the grace to work harder than what you could have done before and to complete your assignment flows from being your name. And so if you were Abram this morning and I were talking to you and you said, well, you know, God changed my name. I believe that, that I believe in him. He's revealed that he's going to do great things through me and I am Abraham. I would be asking you, I would be asking you, are you living your new name? Are you living your new name? And Abraham, before he was 99 years old and he didn't have yet one son, might be tempted to say, well, no, I really don't have any children. But he didn't. He said, I am Abraham. I am the father of a multitude. At 99 and no children and a barren wife. How about that? You know what we call that today? A lunatic. We call it a lunatic. But you can also call it the Almighty God. Because in Romans 4, 17, the Bible says, God calls those things that be not as though they were. Why would God do that? Because he can. And because he uses nothing short of his own authority to do everything that he wants to do. That's how God-like God is. Hallelujah. So when God says to you, you're not Abram, you're Abraham. If you believe it and receive it, that word has just gone in. That word has just transformed you. When you heard the name of Jesus and heard the gospel, the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you had your barriers up, maybe for years, and deflected it. So God was speaking grace to you. God was speaking power. God was speaking miraculous transformation. You just kept pushing it off. But at some point, that grace penetrated. You let grace happen to you. And the moment you did, you began to become a new person. Old things pass away. Behold, all things became new. Can you say amen? amen. The grace to work harder and complete your assignment flows from your new name, flows from your new identity. God's grace to work harder never flows from following somebody else's script. Oh, if Christians could learn this. It's great to look at other people and their example and be inspired by it. It's hell if you're trying to be somebody else. Because God's put a script with a name in you. And you cannot be transformed into anybody else. 
That anointing, the, the Spirit of God that brings transformation to us, is only going to transform you into Abraham if you're Abram. It's only going to transform you into Peter if you're Simon. And if you're Glenn, it's only going to transform you into Jesus in Glenn Hahn. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen? So, God's grace to work harder does not flow from following someone else's script. It, it flows from being your new name. So let me talk practically for a few minutes here before we end about how to be your new name. If, the, if God has come and said, I'm making my covenant with you. By the way, you know when God said to Abraham, I'm making my covenant with you, and by the way, I'm changing your name. He made that covenant with Abraham, but he made it not just with Abraham, he made it through Abraham's generations. Looking down into history, he made it with John and Barbara. He made it with Terry. Hallelujah. He made it with Chris. Glory to God. He made it with each and every one of us. So when he said, I am going to make you amazingly fruitful and I'm changing your name, he was talking to us in Abraham, because the Bible says Abraham is the father of all who believe. So we are Abraham's children. We are the product of that covenant of faith. So how do you become your new name? James 1, through 25 says, Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. For if you only listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. Now if you look carefully, though, into the perfect law, the word of God that sets you free, and you do, not, and, and you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you in your doing. I want you to notice in this verse the direct correlation, the meshing, the gearing together, the association between obeying God's word and seeing yourself. When he's talked about don't just look into the word of God and then forget, what is he saying? Is he saying forget the scripture? He's saying forget who you are. He said, you're looking into the mirror. What are you seeing? When you're reading the word, what do you see? You're seeing yourself reflected in the word. When you see that, he says, keep focused and obey the word because as you're looking into the scripture, you're seeing yourself. So God associates, God associates obeying his word with seeing yourself. That's why it doesn't, it, it never pans out. It never becomes fruitful or productive when you run around and do things, even if they're, quote, scriptural, just because somebody else does it. It's so important that we must see the word in ourselves. You can lose your mind trying to do good things, biblical things, because you see other people do them, and you think, I've got to do that. But God has set a pace in you hear me very carefully, especially those of you who struggle. You try so hard. Being a child of God is not hard. 
Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Well, then why does my yoke and burden? Because you're trying too hard. You're thinking, i got to keep up with these people. i got to keep up. I see those. That's a Christian over there. Look at how they're, I need to be like that. And, and you're, you are, then you're struggling in that yoke. That yoke, that burden is hard. It's, it's not easy. And so, when you look into the Word of God, God wants to set a pace inside of you. The Holy Spirit's working in your life. He's showing, revealing things to you. God grows you and develops the new name, the new identity in you as you digest it, as you see yourself doing it. If It's no good if you see other people doing what the Word says until you see yourself doing what the Word says. It's not going to help you. It's not going to have an impact on your life. That's why many people can read the wonderful promises of God's Word and put it down and walk away because they don't yet have a new name. They don't have a new identity. It does not relate with them. What does it take to get it to relate with you? It takes God. This is not a paper pope. We are not under a paper pope. God's word is the word of God. We absolutely know that. We believe it. The inbreathed, infallible word of God. But the letter kills. Who gives life? The spirit gives life. It's when you allow the Holy Spirit to convict and encourage you that you begin to realize this is a mirror. When I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when I read Proverbs, when I read these things, whether they're a rebuke, a reproof, a correction, or an enhancement, an encouragement, a delight, whatever they are, I see I'm the character in these scriptures. I'm the one that God's dealing with. The Holy Spirit inside of any true born-again Christian will be your internal teacher. He will be in you, your teacher, and he'll say, there you are, that's you. Oh, oh man, that person really messed up. Is, it, is that me? Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. The Holy Spirit will say, no, that's not you. Keep going. Move on. Move on. That's not you. Move on. Are you listening? See, the Holy Spirit is the one who allows the Word to be your mirror. As you look into the Word of God, you see Christ where? In you. You see Jesus in you. That's why it's, it's great to look up to people who have made great sacrifices and are obedient and that are great examples. But never in your own mind embrace the idea that you're something less. You may not jump as high, run as fast, or accomplish as many things, but God has given each of us that name of Jesus. You're no less holy, no less of God is in you than was in Paul and Peter, all the rest. Can you say praise the Lord? So seeing that there's a direct correlation between obeying God and seeing yourself, God blesses what you do when acting through your new identity, you obey him, you obey his word. Glory to God. Helen, you may want to go in and get a bottle of water and give it to Barbara? No water needed? All right, that's good. Praise the Lord. Okay, so notice that in that phrase, 
he said, looking carefully into the perfect law that sets you free. That doesn't refer to just reading the Bible, merely studying it to find out what you're supposed to do. When you're looking into the perfect law of liberty, what you're looking into is God's script for your new name. I'm reading what God's script for me is. Hallelujah. So it, before it ever becomes my doing, it becomes my being. It's who I am. You know, the Lord speaks to every one of his children and he tells us unique things about ourselves. You should write down whatever God tells you about yourself. Write down the associating Bible verses that confirm it because that is your life's identity. That is as good as God saying to Abram, you're Abraham, or to Peter, Simon rather, you're Peter. There's some things God has said about Kathy and I. There was a vision that the Lord gave us many, many years ago. And the Lord was walking down a line of his people, like reviewing troops in a military setting. He stopped in front of each one and he gave them their assignment. He told them what they were to do and it associated with who they were. He was handing out their identity, telling what their assignment was. And we were standing there, and he came to us, and he turned around and spoke to us, and he said, you are taggers of the sheep. And uh, after that vision, my, my wife was the one who had it. You know, when she told me, I thought, oh my God, that is awesome. We're taggers of the sheep. Did you hear that, honey? Tigers of the sheep. Hallelujah. What is a tiger of the sheep anyway? Tagging the sheep. What is that? It sent us on a hunt. I thought, Jesus told us we're tigers of the sheep. It's so wonderful. Now, what is it? What is it? Believe it or not, she went and got out a big encyclopedic type dictionary. They looked it up, looked up the word tag. And going down in it, sure enough, it says to comb or cut the knots out of sheep's hair. It's, those are called tags when you see those knots around which sickness and disease grows. And freeing them from those knots is called tagging the sheep. Wow, Jesus knows what he's talking about when he tells us things, even though he knows we don't know what in the world it, it means. God read that encyclopedia. He knew what tagging the sheep was. So that and a few other things, God gave us our identity. I know what our assignment is. We're to tag the sheep. Well, the reason I tell you that story is because every time I get to a place in my life where I'm just struggling and I'm thinking to myself, am I on track with God? Am I doing what God wants me to do? Does the Lord want me to do something different? Or, more often, I've got people coming to me saying, oh, you would be perfect for this. Do this. Can I get you to get involved in this? Would you do that? And I'm like, oh, I could do that. I could, oh man, could I do that? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Every time I deviate from tagging the sheep, or every time I'm tempted to run off in some direction, and I start to take steps in that direction, the grace thins out. It's like the air thins out, and it's like, <coughs> I can't breathe. I'm like, there's no grace to do that. 
But when I step back to tagging the sheep, there's the grace. There's the power. There's the ability. It's all right there. The Bible says, remain in the calling with which you were called. See, God knows your end from your beginning. So you know what? He doesn't tell you when you first get saved, you're this, but I can't really tell you what you're going to be because I'm still working on that. So he doesn't, he doesn't make you one thing, and then 10 years later, we're going to change you into something else because I finally figured out you weren't too good at that, but you're really good at this, so I'm going to move you over here. How many of you know God's not working it out as we go along? He knows the end from the beginning. So when, he, when you got saved and he said, he put that vision in your heart, that's the one that's going to get you through life. I can see by the nodding heads, you know what I'm talking about. Praise the Lord. So, looking carefully into the word of God that sets you free, it is reading the script of who you are. The perfect law didn't set Simon free, it set Peter free. Simon could not become a fisher of men. Peter could become a fisher of men. Simon could not become a rock, but Peter could become a rock. Let's talk about Peter for a few minutes. Peter acted like the rock that Jesus said that he was as, as he obeyed the word of God when he was walking up to the gate of the temple shortly after Jesus was raised from the dead. And he saw the lame man sitting there. Peter was not walking in Simon trying to follow Jesus. He was walking in on the rock. And the rock walked up. In his mind, the rock walked up to the lame man, and he remembered, he was looking into the law of liberty. Jesus had said, the works that I do shall you do in greater, because I go to the Father. Jesus had said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leopard. Jesus had said to him, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy. Well, he saw the enemy had wadded that guy up and stuck him there all his life, and the rock said, we're going to unwad him. Hallelujah. And we're going to stand him up. So Peter said, silver and gold have I none. Listen to this. Listen to how he's talking. Such as I have, I give to you. Now before you think, is he saying that we heal people? I'm saying that Abraham can produce a multitude of nations. I'm saying the rock, Peter, can say, such, such as I have, I give you. Why is that? Because of the grace working in him. Yeah. What did Paul say? The grace in me makes me work harder than all of them. What did God say to Abram? I am going to change your name, and you're going to be fantastically fruitful. And I love that God picked a man who, at 75 years old, was sterile. Then he didn't give him the son until 25 years later. I love the way God does it. He just drives us nuts. I just love, God is, I know he doesn't play games. He's got serious reason for everything he does. But don't cast away your confidence. Don't throw in the towel. Live your new name. Live your new identity. Because he said, I will never leave or forsake you. Praise God. Simon never became the rock, but Peter became the rock. Hallelujah. Let me talk about Abraham for a few minutes. Abraham faced, or I should say Abram, 
Let's start with Abram. Abram faced insurmountable mountain of limiting, unlimited, limiting impossibilities, limiting realities. He faced a mountain of them when God called him to be the man who would establish the covenant of faith. God's call was impossible for Abram. There's no way Abram could do that. There's no way God could even make Abram do that. Abram couldn't do it. A different man had to do that. So God said, I'm making my covenant with you, and I'm changing your name right now, right up front. That's the first thing I'm going to do. You're not going to be Abram anymore. That man only got you to this moment. Now you're going to become who you really are, and we're going to walk together from there. When you talk about being saved and born again, that's exactly what happened to you. Who you were got you to right here. Now I give you a new name, new identity, new assignment. As long as you keep your head in that name, that identity, that assignment, we're going we're gonna to make, make fruit together. But as long as you let the echoes of the old life pull you back, accuse you, every time you make mistakes like that, you're not changed, you're not really Abraham. You think Abraham didn't have times of doubt? Sure he did. You can't prevent the birds from flying over your head. You can keep them from nesting in your hair, though. You can't stop the thoughts, but you cannot take them. Thoughts flow through. Let them go in one ear, out the other. Don't take them. Hallelujah. So it says about Abraham, I'll read this section, and then we're going to kind of close this. Romans 4 talks about Abram when God met with him. Verse 16 through 21. Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scripture meant when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, here comes this phrase, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. Many nations worth of descendants. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his own body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Some of you are sitting here in your 60s thinking your body's as good as dead. You know, this guy's 100 years old. What's your excuse? Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though about 100 years old, figures his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. But Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in, and in this, he brought glory to God. He brought glory to God by living the name that God gave him, being the man God told him he was, even though he felt like the guy who he had been. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. That phrase, I want to lift it out of the middle of that that I just read to you, believing that he would become the father of many nations. Abraham had been given by God the authorization from God to believe that he would become who he was. I want to say that to you. God, through Jesus, 
has given you the authorization to believe that you will become, not me, not who your wife says you should be, who your friends or your boss or anyone else says you should be, but God has given you authority. Now remember who's given you this authority, the one who created all things with the word of his power. Nobody goes up against the word of God and succeeds. It can't be, it's an impossibility. So God has given you the authority to believe that you can become who you are. He's given you a name, given you an identity. There's nothing stopping you. Believe that you can become who you really are. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Abraham believed the miracle within himself in order to receive the miracle beyond himself. There, the reason why many prayers are not answered is because too many Christians are trying to believe God for the miracle beyond themselves without believing the miracle within themselves. It is Abraham, not Abram, who God used miraculously. It's the rock, Peter, not Simon, who raised the lame man and many other works that God did through his life. Hallelujah. So you must believe who you are. Believe the new name God has given you. Believe what the name of Jesus means when he signed you. For in believing the miracle within yourself, from that will flow the miracles that will be great fruit coming from outside your life. You can't become someone else, but you can become the you that God says you were. Abram, as I said, never became the father of a multitude of nations, but Abraham did. Hallelujah. So here's the altar call, the response this morning. This is Communion Sunday. And looking obediently into God's word to discover and to live your new name is where Satan absolutely puts up his greatest war against God. Satan's greatest struggle against God is you believing your new name. You believing your new name is the end of Satan's tyranny around you. Hallelujah. And so he does everything he can to draw your attention away from who God says you are and try to get you to look in the rearview mirror, look at your natural limitations, look at your most recent mistakes, failures, comparing yourself to other people, all of those things. He does everything to redirect and misdirect your attention from God saying, I'm changing your name and letting him talk to you, letting that take hold within your life. That's how he fights God, by fighting what God is doing in you and I. So we're going to have communion this morning. As you approach the communion table, come and claim your new name. Claim your new identity. Claim your new assignment in Jesus.